As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it is a Tuesday, which means it's time to talk Americans in Action, a segment we formerly, informally called Americans Abroad, and that's kind of what we're returning to this week because the transfer window is open. We've got Americans that have already moved, Americans that are rumored to move, and Americans that could do with a move. Lots of moving, as I said. Here with me to talk about all that and more are two gentlemen. Up first, my fellow American, a man who is becoming an unlikely expert on all things Belgian league. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. <laughs> That's the plot twist that no one yeah, expected buddy. for 2022, but here we are, Taylor Rockwell. <laughs> it really has gone from like, there's a couple players there to there might be 40 Americans playing in the Belgian league. If you said that, I would believe you. I don't think it's quite that high, but it does feel like there's a large amount of Americans making their way to Belgium. One might say too many, but really, who, who, who am I to judge, Taylor? I, I really don't know. All right, so we will get to the Belgian League, but first we should finish our introductions. Joining us is a man who we will slowly win over to supporting the United States and accepting that Tyler Adams should be world president. It's Graham Ruffin. Hi, Graham. <laughs> Hello, Taylor. Is today the day I become an, an honorary American? Do I need to pledge allegiance to a, a flag or something? I mean, it just depends on how glowing you are about every single uh, American player we discuss. In actuality, I'm really excited you are here because I think we can have you be the official, like, what the heck are you two talking about? Extract <laughs> us from the weeds sort of figure so that when Joe and I are passionately discussing a third choice right back for a relega- relegation threatened <laughs> Belgian team, you can sort of be in there to say like, hey guys, maybe we don't need to do a full 20 minutes on this one player. Maybe we can keep it moving a little bit. I think that can be a good role for you, Graham. But then evolving into, yes, uh-huh. uh, an honorary American as well. Th- this whole podcast is just going to be a test for me where you make up random names and I have to <laughs> guess whether those are real players or, or not real players, whether they are playing in the Belgian <laughs> second division or not. So we should have done that. We should have just thrown in some random, like, Brayden Jadenson and oh, yeah. see if, if, if Graham is aware that they're real or not. <laughs> I'm really excited about about Brayson Brown making that move over to Scotland. <laughs> uh, he's on the running order, Graham. You didn't see that? Oh, no. I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, we will get to Brayson Brown and all of our other made-up players later on. Right now, we're going to talk about some confirmed moves. The big one uh, that we've talked about a little bit, but not in depth, would be Ricardo Pepe to Augsburg. A move that we did not see coming. Uh, we thought maybe it was going to be Wolfsburg, Joe. Instead, it's Augsburg paying out $18 million, or maybe 18 million euros. I forget which one. But either way, a lot of money spent on Ricardo Pepe by Augsburg. Absolutely. Fabrizio Romano, I believe, had it at $20 million fee plus add-on. So it's going to be a gigantic sale for FC Dallas within the context of, of how sales within Major League Soccer usually go. This is a big move for, for Ricardo Pepe, and it's a big risk, Taylor and Graham. I mean, this is, timing-wise, a challenging time for any of these players to be moving, but especially players that are on... Not the cusp, because I think Pepe's moved a bit beyond that with the national team, but are are in contention for the national team while not actually being a shoe-in for a World Cup roster should the U.S. make it that far. This is not the easiest destination to just go and start bagging in goals. No move that Ricardo Pepe really could be making to a top division in Europe would be that easy. But this is a tricky one. Augsburg are 15th in the Bundesliga, one point outside of the bottom three now that we're in this winter break period. And they don't really create a lot of chances. They're third to last in the Bundesliga in expected goals per 90. Their leading goal scorer right now, I believe, has three goals, which you can look at it through one lens and say that's a good thing. Pepe can quickly come in and snag some goals because they're such a low chance creation team. That means that Pepe could have trouble creating chances, though. So it's a tricky situation to be in. The timing of the move is tricky, but still, this is an undeniably exciting move for Pepe, for Augsburg, who broke their their uh, their previous transfer record in terms of arrivals. And it's a huge move for FC Dallas as they continue to cement themselves as the selling club and, and as the player development club in Major League Soccer. Looking at this as as, a, as an outsider as I am, I, I can understand why some USMNT fans are, are slightly underwhelmed that Pepe has gone to, to Augsburg. You know, this isn't Atletico Madrid or United, the, the teams that were linked with 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 Pepe as a bit of a, an American wonder kid. I did notice that Augsburg went really big on the whole American wonder kid thing in their in their uh, announcement of of his signing. It's not one of those heavyweight teams that were linked with him, but I, I just feel like at his age and this point of his development, he needs to play. He just needs to play games, and I think there is a more realistic prospect of him playing for Augsburg. As as Joe mentions, there, you know, their top goal scorer has three goals. He's been out injured since early December. They don't really score goals at all. Seventeen goals in seventeen league games this season. So it definitely feels like a deficiency they have that needs addressing. And if you're Augsburg and you're you're almost doubling your record transfer on a striker, it feels like he's going to play. I mean, that, yeah. that feels like he's going to go into that team, but it's certainly before the end of the season. So in, in, in that respect, I think I, I like this move for Pepe. I understand the risk with it. Um, yeah, this is a team that don't create many chances. I was looking at their goal-creating actions per season. They have created just 19 in the Bundesliga this season. That's not 19 in a game, which obviously would be very high. That's 19 all season, uh, which does not bode well for Pepe. But that could be a chicken and egg situation where, you know, is he, is are they not creating chances because they haven't had someone to take advantage of him? I guess we will find out now that he's signed for them. So I went ahead and watched uh, moments, at least the attacking moments of their last three games. A nil-no draw with uh, Gritha Firth, a one-to-one draw with Leipzig, a two-no win over FC Colm. And I will say, not a ton of attacking chances. It, it, it was <laughs> okay. notable to me that when you kind of sorted the clips by goals, goal-scoring chances, or like counter-attacking opportunities, it usually was like the eighth minute, the 30th minute, the 52nd minute. Like, you're kind of skipping through the game pretty quickly. But when they do get chances, what I saw was Augsburg 
target in a 4-4-2, uh, and it was usually building through the channels, either through attacking fullbacks or just wide attackers, playing low balls in and kind of just putting it to the mixer. Usually, though, they are looking for a sort of near-post run. They're not sort of lumping into the box for a big header. Sometimes they do, but more often it seems to be low passes in. And on those occasions, I saw three either be like whiffed by the attacker who was trying to get to it or just if the ball was behind them or in front of them and just a little bit off. And what that says to me is that they're getting some chances, maybe not as many as we would like, but they're not being converted. And as we said, uh, Florian Niederlechner is their, uh, I think their top goal scorer. That's the one Yalba mentioned. He's 31 years old, three goals in 11 games. They've got Alfred Finbogason, 32 years old, dealing with uh, a couple different issues. Uh, Gregoric has been starting for them and, not really cementing his spot either. So this does feel like an opportunity for Ricardo Pepe to come in and get opportunities. Maybe not starts right away, but Joe, what it felt like it could be to me, it could be bad. It could end up being that he doesn't get much service and it's the Josie Altador at Sunderland thing, but it also feels like it's poised to potentially be Daryl DK when he's first at Barnsley. And if Pepe can start hot and get a goal in his first appearance or get some good opportunities in his first appearance, it seems like, what Augsburg need is a goal scorer with confidence who can make those runs and back himself to just make something happen. And I think there's a scenario in which Pepe doesn't score many goals or any goals this season, but I think there's equally likely a scenario when he scores multiple goals pretty quickly and we see him sort of betting into the team really, really well uh, pretty pretty early. And I'm not sure that would have been the case for, say, Wolfsburg if he'd gone there. I don't know how early we would have seen him. So I think there are positives here with the way Augsburg want to play or seem to want to play. And I think we could see him getting some opportunities pretty quickly. So I am more excited about this than I expected to be. Uh, Joe, I turn it to you to get your thoughts on how he might fit in with the team. Sure. I love how you went through some of those attacking sequences, Taylor, and I appreciate you bringing up the fact that they do play a 4-4-2. I'd seen the same thing. Those strikers are going to have slightly different profiles up at the top of that shape, but having multiple spots is only going to increase Pepe's ability to get on the field. And to go back to Graham's initial point, I don't think playing time is going to be a problem for Pepe, given how much Augsburg paid for him here, that club record fee. He's going to play, right? So I'm, I'm not super concerned about that part. The Man, part- that weirdly, I know Graham had said that. <laughs> like, Joe, thank you for doubling down on that because I sort of with transfer fees moved past them really quickly and it did not occur to me yeah they they almost doubled their transfer record so it does stand to reason then that they would want that player to play and do big things while playing absolutely good call, good yeah, call. he's gonna have every chance my well let me really rephrase that Hopefully slightly because chance. my my concern is that he won't actually be able to get <laughs> enough scoring chances but he will have yeah. every chance to play and get on the field given what Augsburg paid for him my concern, and I am generally excited about this move. It's fun to go see these younger players moving from MLS and, and these young Americans going and playing abroad and getting those chances. That's fun, right? And we spend a lot of time talking about it on this show. My concern is that this is going to be a Josh Sargent at Werder Bremen situation or a Josh Sargent at Norwich situation. I just basically, I'm concerned that this is going to become Josh Sargent. I don't, I don't <laughs> think Pepe is. I don't think Pepe is good enough right now to go and, and spearhead this attack and really take the game by the scruff of the neck and start scoring goals Erling Holland style or Erling Holland light, light, light style. I don't think he's quite that good enough of a player. I'm really high on him as a talent, and I think he has a lot of, of building blocks. But the challenge, as I referenced kind of in my opening remarks about this, is the timing. I don't know how well it fits in within the context of Pepe's career and within the context of the World Cup. Maybe those things are non-issues and maybe I'm, I'm just overthinking this slightly. This is a big move and a positive step in the right direction for Pepe. But I, I'm concerned that 
he won't get hot, Taylor. I'm concerned that, or, or even if he does get hot and score a few goals right off the bat, like he did with the USMNT last fall, right? I'm concerned that if that happens, that the production's going to die out because the pieces aren't around Pepe. The, the pieces aren't good enough to get him the ball in those spots, and the Pepe's movement isn't quite refined enough to to be able to create chances on his own, sort of with with bare minimum service around him. So I'm not saying, to be clear, I'm not saying this is a bad move or that this won't work. I am skeptical that this will work out as well as we all want it to, but I'm absolutely open to the fact that it could turn out just fine, especially with Pepe getting as many minutes as it feels like he's going to get. I think everyone's concern with this move is that Augsburg aren't very good. And you look at where they are in the, the Bundesliga table. Sorry to, to cut straight to the chase, but yeah, that seems to be most people's concern. But and this is a genuine question I'm about to ask the two of you. Is how much of a disaster would it be if, say, Augsburg do get relegated with Pepe? You know, and he's playing in the second division in Germany. To me, as an outsider again, that doesn't feel like it's too much of a disaster. Maybe the the, the USMNT have been burned previously by young players who have kind of burst onto the scene in the Bundesliga. I'm thinking Julian Green and, and Matthew Hoppe last season, and then. I know it's quite early for Hoppy, but kind of has has faded into obscurity after that initial spell. But maybe uh, you know a year at a slightly lower level in, in Germany, maybe that's not such a bad thing for Pepe. I mean, he is still only eighteen years old, and so I think everyone maybe is looking at this and the the, the trap door that could be below Augsburg as a as a, a disastrous thing. But I, I don't think it needs to be like that. For me think, personally, Graham, it's it's it's. It's interesting that you bring up, say, Julian Green and Matthew Hoppe, whereas I went back to Josie Altador at Sunderland. And I think that difference is telling because with Green, with Hoppe, those are players who, uh, at, to varying degrees, came through their academies and are sort of developed uh, abroad, at least to some extent. Whereas, say, Josh Sargent is one who's moving at, you know, later teens, but still moving to, like, theoretically play and score goals and be a key part of that team. And then that doesn't happen. And I feel like Josh Sargent, Josie Altador loom in my mind as players who get these moves. And then rather than it be seen as like, yeah, they're, they're rolling the dice. They're taking a risk. We'll see what happens here. They sort of get folded into the negativity of that season and negativity of that team. And they become part of it. It's happening with Sargent at Norwich again, that it's sort of, he's not scoring goals. He's not doing enough. That whole team isn't doing enough. Maybe he's not that good. And I think that's what I fear with Ricardo Pepe. You're right that if he's playing and getting a goal here and there and looking good and developing, but they get relegated, I think that wouldn't be the worst case scenario, honestly. But if it's, he goes in there, they continue to not score. He gets you know, four starts in a row and doesn't score, and then he's on the bench and he's making 15-minute cameos as they get relegated, it feels like he just sort of gets blended in to the mediocrity as opposed mm-hmm. to being a like a fun spice to the mediocrity, which is what I would much prefer. Sure. So I think that's where some of the concern comes from. But I really don't have many issues with it being Augsburg as opposed to Wolfsburg or anybody else because I think the Bundesliga has proven to be a, a good development ground for Americans, generally speaking. And I'm not, I'm not going to be thrilled about Pepe getting relegated and Augsburg getting relegated to the, to the second Bundesliga. But at the same time, that could be a good place for him to continue to develop. Graham, you yeah. cited his age. He's a teenager, right? He's a kid. Getting those reps in the second Bundesliga is something that Josh Sargent really didn't do. And hindsight is 2020. But if we're going to draw the comparison between these two players again, maybe he would have been better served staying with Werder Bremen and playing out that season, which I believe would be this season right now, in the second Bundesliga, and, and things might look a little bit different. So it's hard to say what the ideal scenario is going to be without really getting a better look at him on the field with Augsburg. But it, it could turn out just fine, Graham. It could absolutely turn out just fine. Joe, one more question for you, because you are more familiar with Ricardo Pepe 
uh, with his time at FC Dallas. But is it fair to say that, because I remember watching him in USL League One against Richmond, and he looked like men against boys, even though he was the boy against men. Uh, so I would say in that situation, he definitely rose to the occasion. Would you say that in his time with the FC Dallas senior team, he has, generally speaking, risen to the occasion? I think so. I mean, it's it's a little bit hard to define that, but he's played in some big games. He's played in the postseason. He's played a number of minutes for FC Dallas at this point. He's He's been in situations yeah. that are somewhat pressure-filled, and he's gotten reps before. The question is whether or not he'll continue to rise and, and continue that career trajectory that it really felt yeah. like he was moving towards at the end of last season and throughout the, the fall and the winter with the U.S., and I don't know the answer to that question. That's something that I think Taylor will revisit over the coming months, to be honest with you. Let me refine it then. When he first starts getting like opportunities for FC Dallas in Major League Soccer, do you feel like he is a player who seizes that opportunity, is sort of motivated by it, or do you feel like he was a player who took a little bit of time to get used to playing with more uh, professional players, more talented players across the board? There'll be an adjustment period for sure, but I feel pretty confident in Pepe's ability to adapt to an environment, right? He's mm-hmm. spent time at different levels within FC Dallas, but but really the biggest thing for me is his integration with the national team. Was it flawless? Absolutely not. Were there things that Greg Berhalter specifically pointed out that he needed to improve, especially with some of his defensive positioning and things like that? Absolutely, right? Those things were real. But he still stepped up. He had an impact in those games. Is it going to be yeah. a consistent impact? I don't know. But I have an, I have faith in Pepe's ability to go and, and hang with the big boys in the Bundesliga. I don't have doubts about that. The question is whether or not he'll be productive and whether or not he'll really round yeah. round into form and really become the striker that I think he can be. That I'm less sure of. But I, I think he'll I think he'll do okay in situations like that. I just don't know if the goals are going to come as quickly as we'd like them to. All right. I think I ask because my final point on Ricardo Pepe, at least for purposes of this show, uh, would be that it does feel to me like he is a player who sort of doesn't shirk from that spotlight. He doesn't back down. He sort of, I feel like, is willing to go after it. This is entirely my like gut feeling. I've never spoken to Ricardo Pepe. I don't know him personally, so I do not know his personality. But I think there are players in my mind who maybe take a little bit more time aren't just going to go in there and jump right into it and be like, yep, cool, throw like throw me into the starting 11. And it seems like he is a player who is more okay with that. So I'm less concerned about the price tag having this big amount of pressure on him. It feels like, if anything, that could be a motivator for him. Or maybe I just hope it will be. But either way, I'm excited to see Ricardo Pepe in the Bundesliga, which does come back this coming weekend. I doubt Ricardo Pepe is playing that much this weekend, but hopefully we see him in the near future. Gentlemen, anything else on Ricardo Pepe? I hope he brings a cowboy hat with him to the Bundesliga. That's really <laughs> oh, all yeah. I want, is, is bring that big old cowboy hat to this thing. <laughs> I like that Graham got in on the cowboy hat. We got to get Graham some yeah. some soccer centric cowboy hats to add. To <laughs> I mean, I Pepe is almost certainly the size of that hat. He's he's checking that as an individual item on, on his flight to Germany. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. He's having to pick that up from baggage baggage claim for sure. Yeah, he's he's not cramming that into any luggage. He's he's having that on its on its own. So there's no no creases in it by the time he gets to Augsburg. Uh, so Daryl DK, or excuse me, Ricardo Pepe bringing a cowboy hat. I do not know what Daryl DK will be bringing with him to West Brom in England. But Daryl DK moving to West Brom. Uh, yeah, definitely that. Uh, Seven million pound move. Orlando keeping a sell on fee reportedly to be about 20%. When last we saw him, he was scoring goals at a pretty good rate with Barnsley. But then that tally sort of dips uh, due to injury fatigue. He played a lot of games in a lot of months without a lot of break. Uh, he goes back to Orlando City. Again, kind of continues a sort of cold run, finishes with eight goals in 10 games. And now we can see him 
with a little bit of a break, with a little bit of a rest, in a fresh start with West Brom. Graham, what do you make of this move for Daryl DK to West Brom? So, so Daryl DK is a, a player that I've I've watched quite a bit of from his time at, at Barnsley when he was obviously on fire. He was a, a bit of a storyline, not just from a, an American point of view, but just in that whole league at that time. He was he was a really good storyline. Obviously, Barnsley made the playoffs that season. They were pretty unfancied that season, so that was um, where he really burst onto the scene. And then I've watched him in Orlando as well. And I have to say, maybe there are uh, different views among the three of us, but I, I like this move for Daryl DK. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter maybe have different opinions. Um, of course, the championship, as I say, is, is a league that he already knows well, having done so well at Barnsley. I still think this represents a, a step up from Barnsley, given that, you know, as I say, they were unexpected to make the playoffs and West Brom are kind of expecting to get promoted. They're sitting fourth in the championship at the moment. And it, and it allows him to, let's just say the, the Premier League is the, the, the promised land for Daryl DK. It allows him, I think, to get embedded into that team, maybe just slightly out of the spotlight. And let's just say they do get promoted, West Brom. It allows him to get embedded in before they make that step up, rather than having the headlights on him immediately, as would have been the case had he gone immediately to a, a Premier League club. So he's managed to make a step up in the quality of team he's playing for, but maybe not to the level where the expectation would crush him right from the start. And then looking at the way that West Brom play and I, and I defer to Joe uh, and his tactical chops on this but it seems like it might be a decent fit for him as well West Brom definitely need to find more goals uh, Carlin Grant who is a, a bit of a championship specialist he's really their only reliable source this season and he's been playing on the right of a front three so it's it's possible that DK and Grant can play together in the same unit. I personally think DK is a, an upgrade on Callum Robinson, who has been playing as a centre forward for West Brom most commonly this season. Um, and Robinson can also play. Robinson's a decent player. I've played. I've watched him for for Wales as well um, this year. He's done well for for them. Oh, sorry for Ireland. Sorry, and um, he can play right across the front line as well. So uh, there's a scenario where Robinson DK and Grant, it can all fit in that kind of central front three for West Brom. So the only concern for me would be, Taylor, you referenced kind of uh, DK needing a break, and mm -hmm. that's really been the only thing that stopped him over the last couple of years. Has he, he's been hindered by playing so much soccer, and Berhalter, I was reading an interview from, um, oh, what did you guys call the camp in December? Camp Candy Cane. Camp Candy Cane. Camp Candy Cane, yeah. <laughs> from Camp Candy Cane, uh, uh, Berhalter said, said he, was, he was beat up. And that's why he wasn't in, in that cap, camp. So I really hope that he has a good break uh, before kind of getting involved with West Brom or rather he's had a good break since the end of the season. Because if he's going straight into a promotion fight in the, physic the physically toughest league in the world, which is what I think the championship is, he's going to need looking after a little bit. So that's maybe the only concern I would have about that move. Uh, Graham, my my major concern uh, with this move to West Brom is that, as you mentioned, Callum Robinson is there. I know you've been watching what we do in the shadows. Did you find yourself going back to Colin Robinson over and over and over again? Because I kept thinking about that and wondering how good an energy vampire would be in the Premier League. And I think the closest approximation would be... Oh, now I'm forgetting his name. Uh, the most uh, annoying footballer uh, forward place for Chelsea... Oh, uh, what's his name? Diego Costa. Diego Costa <laughs> is my is my uh, energy vampire that I could think of. See, I think an energy vampire is more like James Milner. I think he is the <laughs> the prime energy vampire. <laughs> that is that is a valid point. Uh, Joe, <laughs> moving away from what we do in the shadows, uh, what what do you make of Daryl DK at West Brom? Well, first of all, yeah, I, I've definitely seen that show, and I understand what's going on. Um, I, Taylor I, and Grim, I like this move. I like this move for mm. Daryl DK. I like this move for West Brom. 
The one thing I don't like about this move is for the U.S. men's national team, but I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, the fee is good for Orlando, especially after all of the transfer saga that was happening around Barnsley and the reported $20 million figure for DK, and I'm, I'm not super sure whether or not that was ever real or not. I don't know. But this this basically $10 million, $9.5 million transfer fee. I know, I think we mentioned 7 million pounds earlier. I believe that conversion is right. That's per ESPN's Jeff Carlisle with some performance-based bonuses and 20% of a sell-on uh, fee for Orlando City. It's a good move for them to get DK on to the next step in his career. It felt like a natural evolution for DK and for Orlando. They've got a new ownership group there. It feels right for, for, for Orlando specifically. Good deal for them. For DK, I mean, this is a move to a league that he's familiar with, to a coach that he's played under before, right? Valerian Ismail is the coach of West Brom, and and Ismail coached Daryl DK at Barnsley, right? So there's a huge tie-in there. It makes a lot of sense, and from what I've heard, there's a strong, a pretty strong bond between DK and between uh, between him and Ismail, excuse me. So there's, there's some value there, certainly, and tactically. I think this is a style that DK plays well in. He's done it before, right? This is going to be a lot of what we saw at Barnsley. Probably upgraded a little bit. West Brom have more resources and a slightly more talented squad than Barnsley did. I watched some footage, and they will play around with the ball a little bit. But it is a lot of that direct style that DK can thrive in. He's not Mm -hmm. still this really high-value aerial threat in the box. At least I don't think so. But DK can use the ball and and can run at goal and, and use his size to hold the ball up and then turn and drive forward. He's really good in those sorts of transition moments where he's facing goal and getting the ball on his right foot and shooting from the right side of the box. Back when he was playing for Barnsley, I did a piece for The Athletic where I looked at every single shot he'd taken, and it was exactly as painful as it sounds like it was. But those are the situations you see when you watch Daryl DK for Barnsley back when he was playing with them last season, or when you watch him for Orlando City. He likes to drive towards the goal, and he'll have opportunities to do that with West Brom. So I like the move for them as well. I think this is the type of player they need under Ismail to continue staying in the promotion hunt. And they're not that far out of, this is a weird way to phrase it, but they're only a few points outside of really not being in the playoff promotion places. So they're in a, they're in a tough spot still as the season will, will wind down over the next few months. For the U.S. men's national team, though, and for DK's hopes with the USMNT, I don't love this fit, right? You think about the tactical style that Greg Berhalter wants to play with the national team and the tactical style that Ismail is going to be playing with West Brom, and you almost couldn't find two more different styles, right? They are so different. It's going to be so many more long balls for West Brom than it would ever be with the national team, and I have questions about how well this will prepare DK to fit in with the U.S., and maybe that's not a concern right now. Maybe this is a stepping stone to another club, and DK will continue to evolve. And I don't think if if you were asking me today, I'd put my money on DK being involved in the World Cup anyway. So maybe, again, with Pepe, I'm, I'm just being a bit too concerned here and diving into things that don't really matter. But that's my one sticking point on this move. Generally, I like it, and I think it will be good for DK, and I think he will do well there. But I'm not sure how much this prepares him to be a part of meaningful USMNT games going forward. That is a very interesting point. Uh, I want to expound on that for a moment. First, I want to say, Joe, they're way better than Barnsley. <laughs> I remember those Barnsley games. They were brutal. There was so much like head tennis and just long, long hopeful balls. Maybe something will happen. Graham, we coined a phrase a while back on Total Soccer Show. Uh, there are long balls and then there are direct over balls, which would be 
something that looks like a long ball but is actually into space for a player to run onto or actually mm-hmm. has a purpose. And I saw more of that directness from West Brom uh, in the games that I saw in the goals that I saw them score or did see them score because there aren't a ton of them. They're not scoring that many goals this season. They're another one that hasn't done great on that front. Uh, 31 goals for, 19 against. Defensively very solid but definitely need to be scoring more goals if they want to stay in the uh, promotion playoffs or even get those automatic spots in the first or second places. So to do that, they will probably continue to try to have some of that directness, some of that bluntness to the attack. And I do think watching Colin Robertson, not Colin Robertson, uh, (laughs) make the runs that he can sort of get on the end of low balls in or crosses in. But a lot of them are the kind of reverse diagonal runs that just stay on side and then he gets on the end of it and finishes well. That does feel like something that Daryl DK could do. But it, Joe, I think you're correct then to point out that it doesn't seem like the thing that Greg Berhalter necessarily needs. And I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective because I, I found myself wondering if we had been basically if I had been too harsh on him when last we saw him because he didn't have a particularly good gold cup. He was not playing very well for Barnsley at the end. We've talked about why that was the case, but I, I wonder, Joe, do you feel like maybe has absence made the heart grow fonder a little bit, or do you think he still has a long way to go before he is even doing some of those more direct goal-scoring things to the level that we need? Uh, I think he can do a lot of the things that, that West Brom are going to want of him, right? Yeah. I, I, th- I even think he can do some of the things that Greg Berhalter is going to want with the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. He can drop in a bit. He can hold up the ball. And he can drive forward in an attack space like Berhalter wants really all of his front runners to do. It's not like DK will never, ever play for the U.S. again or that he's completely a, a terrible fit for that nine spot. But there is still room to grow, right? Let's not forget, he starts off super hot with Barnsley. He's outperforming his XG by a mile, which is something he'd done for Orlando City before, but still a relatively small sample size. Let's not forget that DK hasn't been a professional soccer player for all that long. It's it's time for us to see more sustainable production from him. And that's that's an exciting thing to me about this move is he has a chance, like Graham said earlier, to, to sort of bet in and get in with West Brom now. Maybe that results in a Premier League season next year. Maybe it's another season in the championship. And, and frankly, at least right now, I feel like either one of those things would be just fine. Getting more reps and getting comfortable in a system with a team, I think, has a lot of value for DK. And we'll start to to improve some of his deficiencies. I'd feel a little bit better about that if it was a less extreme tactical style, uh, if it was a more traditional approach or a little bit more of a, I don't know, something that is a bit more well-rounded. I'd feel better about DK's development, but I still think there's potential here for him to sand off some of those rough edges that, that I think he has right now. Graham, quick question for you. Maybe a quick question, or it could be a long, meandering philosophical question. We'll <laughs> see. Uh, what Joe and I, for, for new listeners, uh, are talking about is the idea that Berhalter has the style of play, has the style of attack, the way he wants to build, the way he wants to make his opponents uncomfortable, the way he wants to press, and then not press. He tends to be, from my perspective at least, a, a coach who sort of wants players that are going to fit the system, that are going to be able mm-hmm. to execute what he's asking of them. Graham, for you, are you, do you prefer a coach who sticks with the philosophy and basically prioritizes the players that fit his system that are able to execute the system? Or would you prefer a coach that sees the best possible 11, the people who have kind of caught fire and are having big moments, even if they don't quite fit the style to fit those players in because they're having a good moment? Do you prefer the sticking to philosophy or mm-hmm. putting in the best 11 you possibly can? I, I like the former to a certain extent. I like it to the point that it becomes stubbornness. So I, I like that yeah. uh, when a manager has a clear idea of what he, what he wants his team to be, how he wants his his, his players to to play. But then if there's if it comes to a point where that isn't working, 
then I, I want my manager to be able to to shift things a little bit, to change things up. And that was, uh, again, to use the term again, as an outsider, listening to what Joe was saying there about Berhalter and this maybe not being a good move for DK. I can totally understand that as a first-team starter, but as a USMNT fan, that would make me slightly nervous if Berhalter doesn't have options to shift things up. You know, say you get into a bit of a slog in the final group stage match in, in Qatar, and you do need someone who, in the last five minutes, is just going to provide a little bit of a physical presence and just be a little bit more um, kind of crude, I guess, in the in the attacking approach. And DK maybe is that player that they need, and he's sitting at home after a good season with West Brom or after, or after a good year with West Brom, and that that would make me slightly nervous. Um, so it's a bit of a boring answer to your questions, a bit of both, but maybe more to the former than the latter. All right, Graham, your first honorary American quiz question. Are you familiar with the name Alan Gordon? Uh, yes, San Jose Earthquakes <laughs> legend. What you are describing, I believe, can affectionately be known as the Alan Gordon option. When it's the 85th <laughs> minute and you got to lump some balls into the box, let's get Alan Gordon in there. Maybe that could be Daryl DK for Greg Berhalter. Yeah, sure. And right. and we could just uh, there, there's a famous clip of Alan Gordon scoring in a, a Cali Classical where the commentator just goes, "Alan Gordon, Alan Gordon, Alan Gordon." <laughs> we could just do that with Daryl DK for at the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to assume it's not quite as majestic of a goal as the Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp, Dennis Bergkamp. Uh, no, it's not. No, <laughs> but, but still, I like the uh, the thematic connection. Uh, all right, we've talked about. Two players. We've got many, many more to discuss, maybe in a little bit less detail. First, we're going to take a break. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We are back. We've got more Americans who have made moves. One who has made a move and then made a move back, Joe Lowry, would be Caden Clark going to Leipzig and now going back to New York, it seems. Yeah, this is an interesting one. So Caden Clark had signed with RB Leipzig months ago, back in the summer, and was loaned back to the New York Red Bulls to finish out the Major League Soccer season. And then at that time, we all thought to join RB Leipzig for the second half of the Bundesliga season. So he'd go and join them and be a permanent Leipzig player in January According to Build in Germany, Clark will be staying with the New York Red Bulls on loan for a while longer. I didn't see a specific time frame, but given the challenges with bringing Clark over midseason with all the uncertainty surrounding Leipzig right now, a recent coaching change really struggling in the league, no longer in the Champions League, which was not all that surprising, to be fair, given they were in a group with City and, uh, and PSG. But still, Clark apparently will be staying with New York. That coaching change and all those struggles really throwing a wrench in this whole thing. For me, I see part of this as a positive. And we, we maybe mentioned this recently. It's not bad to go and get playing time with the New York Red Bulls. And I think he should get playing time under Gerhard Struber. He, he likely will get more minutes in New York than with Leipzig. That sounds like a no brainer, but we don't know for sure. He'll likely get more minutes in New York. And it's also valuable to join again, if this actually happens to join RB Leipzig or potentially RB Salzburg, because that's been uh, rumored a little bit as well. It's valuable to join those teams in preseason, right? To join in the summer, really be a part of the build in in the lead up to a season. So those things are good, but this also does make it very clear that RB Global, right, that, that, that Red Bull as a unit 
don't see Clark as a difference maker right now, right? If they did, he'd be in Leipzig and he'd be training under Domenico Tedesco right now and he'd be pushing for minutes. And it's a bit of a shame to me that he's not valued that highly. I'm not surprised that that happens, right? I'm not fully looking at this through red, white, and blue colored glasses. This is not a shock. There's a lot of it that makes sense here, but I am high on Caden Clark and I do think he, he would improve a lot playing for Leipzig and training with them and getting spot minutes. I'm disappointed that he's not going to be making that move, even though I can see a lot of the logic behind it. Graham, uh, I had our our graphic designer create a Stars and Stripesig logo that was playing <laughs> off the RB Leipzig logo when it was Tyler Adams there, Jesse Marsh taking over, Caden Clark coming in. There were rumors that maybe Brendan Aronson would be j- joining uh-huh. eventually. Do you feel like I've single-handedly jinxed uh, this American connection at Leipzig? Yes, 100% okay. you have, yeah. <laughs> All right. That was the moment glad, everything I'm fell apart. <laughs> Taylor, I remember when it. you texted that to me. I remember yeah. the mo- I remember yeah. exactly where I was, yeah. and little did I know that that was going to be the downfall of our American society. So great great work on your part. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is exclusively the downfall of American society Correct. right there. <laughs> I, I, I'm not like so disappointed in this because I think I'd rather have him play, playing meaningful minutes uh, at MLS if it were Salzburg, if it were at wherever, but I think... It does feel like it could have gone very wrong if he had gone to Leipzig. They're trying to figure everything out. He's not even yeah. uh, getting opportunities. Maybe isn't even training with the first team all that much and then is getting a loan somewhere randomly. At least we know he will have opportunities to continue to play versus we hope he gets some minutes. Otherwise, we hope he gets a loan at some point. It feels like at least there's a bit of permanence yeah. about things at present. The, the the most disappointing thing for me is is not so much that he's not going to Leipzig because that totally makes sense. They are in a, a state of flux at the moment after Marsh leaving, Tedesco coming in. I personally don't think Caden Clark is is really ready, to be honest, for that level of, of team just yet. It's just the fact that he's going back to to New York, which is the, the disappointing part, which makes it feel like he hasn't really progressed at, at all, really. Maybe that isn't obviously the case. He's got a move to, to, to Leipzig, but it, it just it's inescapable that feeling that he hasn't really progressed there was so much chat about this move it was the worst kept secret in MLS for a long time so that kind of built the anticipation and so the fact he's going to be back in New York for next season and not in Salzburg um, or somewhere else in the Red Bull you know let's get him involved in the X Games that would be exciting Uh, (laughs) but yeah that's that's the disappointing part Caden Clark absolutely flying down some downhill ski slopes I can see that really happening yeah Uh uh, Joe, another move that we've seen happen would be Kyle Duncan moving to Ustend. Ustende? We'll have to learn that one. Two quick questions for the folks who are not Red Bulls fans and don't watch a ton of Belgian football. Who is Kyle Duncan, aside from Tim <laughs> Weah's cousin, and what is Ustend? Okay, we'll start with the first half of that question, or at least the first uh-huh. question. Kyle Duncan, 24-year-old American, right back. Really good. Really good with the Red Bulls. Not like this generational type of talent that's going to be the next starter for the U.S. men's national team, but someone who could do quite well in Belgium and move beyond that to a higher level in Europe. He's been training with Ustend, who I'll now answer the second part of that question, is a team that's currently in 14th in the, the top flight in Belgium, in the Belgian Pro League. They play a mix of four at the back and three or five at the back. Duncan can play right back or right wing back. He'll be fine doing either one of those jobs and he should play Duncan's a good player as I mentioned I think he'll fit in quite well in the past Duncan's made one other jaunt over to Europe he had a failed stint well it's hard to call it failed because I'm sure he learned things along the way but he didn't break in uh, with a Ligue 2 club in France five or so years ago then he went back and, and back to America and played with the Red Bulls and really broke in there and did quite well for himself as I mentioned he's fast 
can put a cross in. He's able to cover a lot of ground. He's a quick, modern, athletic type of fullback. He fits all of the the classic right-back stereotypes that I think you'd want. There's room for him to improve in a few different areas. Still, he can boost his passing a little bit and become come, become some become a more creative passer, I should say. He can still improve his defending some as well. But I, I do like this move. I think he even could have really played for a higher-level club in Belgium or another league. And there were a few other teams mentioned in this whole Kyle Duncan transfer situation. But I think he'll do well there. I think he'll do well like Sam Vines is doing well for Royal Antwerp. I think he'll do well and, and really get some time to play and, and bet in with that club. I do feel like we could do one episode at some point on just players in Belgium. We could rank and see who's doing the best, who's having the best opportunity. For now, though, I'm excited that you are excited about Kyle Duncan uh, to Belgium. Joe, uh, Graham, how excited should we be about Chris Mueller going to Hips? Eh, as my answer <laughs> to that. <laughs> Okay, so right. let me get serious about this for a second. So the biggest thing to mention with regards to this deal is that Hibs have changed manager since this deal was announced in the in the summer. It was a pre-contract agreement, obviously, with Muller leaving Orlando at the end of his deal. So at the time of this deal being struck, uh, Jack Ross of the Sunderland Netflix documentary fame, people might remember him from that, he was in charge at that oh, time. No. And now it's oh, uh, no. Sean Maloney who has recently taken over as Hibs manager. And that matters because that change in manager could signify quite a dramatic change in playing style for Hibs. We've already seen it in some of the matches they've played so far under Maloney. While Hibs under Ross were a, a team that liked to... They like to play on the fast, fast transition, a lot of vertical movement. That maybe would have suited Miller. They are now more of a sort of possession-based team under Maloney. And the problem looking at that side for Hibs as well... The problem for Miller is to get into that Hibs team and the way that they're playing now under Maloney, he's probably going to have to dislodge their best player, Hibs' best player at the moment, who's a guy called Martin Boyle, an Australian international who's having a fantastic season. So Maloney has used this 3-4-1-2 system since coming in, and you'd probably be looking at one of the front two positions for Miller. You know, I, I don't see him. I know he plays wide, but... Joe, maybe you can tell me this, but I, I don't see him really playing as a as a wing back in that 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 system. And the and the, and the wing backs that uh, Maloney has used for Hibs as well have been more defenders than attackers as well. So I don't really see him fitting in there. So you have Kevin Nisbet as one of the players to dislodge, who's a Scotland international, who's a, a key player, and then you have Boyle, who's the second striker who gives pace and runs channels. That's what maybe Muller could be in this team. But Boyle has eleven goals this season. He's Hibs' top goal scorer. He's their highest paid player. He's just signed a new contract, so it feels feels like he's not going anywhere and so I don't know how realistic it is in the short term that Muller is going to get into this team but he could, he could surprise me I mean he's, he's a good player you know US international he certainly has the quality if he was anywhere else on the pitch I would say he's of a level that improves Hibs but he is trying to break into the area of the team that they are strongest. Graham, that's that's really good analysis and things I I didn't know in context I didn't have. I love that. And it it sounds like it's going to be hard for Chris Mueller to break in there, at least in the position that he's probably played closest to in Orlando. That second striker, narrow winger type of role, it's not a perfect parallel to what he was doing under Oscar Pereja, where he really would tuck in in possession under Pereja, it almost looks like a three, it looks, almost looks like a three, four, three. And Chris Miller would be on the right side underneath Diego Dicker, underneath Tesho Akandele, underneath that nine. 
doesn't seem like there's going to be a direct parallel for that. So it, it will be hard, it sounds like, for him to surpass Boyle in that second striker role. I, I honestly do think wingback could be a good spot for him, Graham. I, I don't know okay. how realistic that is. He has pace. He has the willingness to run defensively. He, I, I see Chris Mueller basically as someone who could very easily be Paul Areola, who, who could very much play as a right-sided player who can do almost anything, who can defend, who can attack. He can be this versatile Swiss Army knife. So maybe that is where we could see him. I don't know if that will be the case, and this is one of those things we'll have to really stay tuned to find out. Graham, how how stable overall would you say uh, Hibs are? Like, is that a good place for him to be going, or are they similarly one or like similar to some of the clubs we've talked about? A club that could end up having problems, not necessarily be relegated, but mm-hmm. like, is there a situation in which he comes in there to find that there's no opportunity for him to even get a chance to break through because they're so focused on the kind of present situation? So the, Hibs are famously unstable i'm afraid to say right. <laughs> um yeah they they run through a lot of managers just this season th- their season has been really really weird they started off very strongly jack ross was being mentioned as a future celtic manager uh, at, at one point in the summer when they were looking for a manager so that, he, that suggested he was doing a good job hibs have done well in the cups they made it to a cup final but then their league form completely fell off a cliff like completely fell off a cliff i think they lost maybe six or seven games in a row ross loses his job fairly prematurely but nonetheless he was under pressure things were not going well for him now with Maloney he's a complete unknown Sean Maloney worked under Roberto Martinez eh, Martinez I do that every time that's the Brit (laughs) (laughs) it's been drummed into me sorry Martinez he's worked under Roberto Martinez at the Belgium national team he's highly thought of as a coach but there are those who maybe think that's not going to translate that well into being a manager so he is a complete unknown he could be out the door in three months, he could be Scotland's next great manager and he takes, you know, Hibs into into Europe and so on. I don't really know. So Hibs, what I would say is Hibs are an ambitious team. They've got a good t- a good squad. For me, they've got the third best squad in, in Scotland at the moment. So he is joining a group of players that can achieve things. But as I say, it's going to be in the short term anyway, unless Maloney changes system, which I guess is possible. He's only had a couple matches in charge, but it's going to be quite difficult for him to make an immediate mark. We're going to talk about some rumored moves, some moves we would like to see in a little bit. Two moves that have happened that I wanted to mention really quickly. Uh, Michael Cuisance, 22-year-old French central midfielder. So why am I mentioning him in this episode? Because he's moving from Bayern Munich to Venezia. He is, as I said, a central midfielder. So keep an eye on what impact, if any, that has on Tanner Tessman and Gianluca Busio. The other slightly more positive one would be Jonathan Icone, moving from Lille to Fiorentina for 13 million pounds. Uh, uh, Ikone, an important attacker for Lille. Theoretically, that would give more opportunities, more minutes to Timothy Weah. So two players on the move. One potentially uh, negative to Americans getting minutes. One a potential positive, but wanted to note those. Let's talk about some rumors. Joe, tell me Brian Reynolds is going to go somewhere and get to play soccer, please. Uh, it sounds like Brian Reynolds is going to go somewhere. I don't know mm-hmm. if that place is going to be especially conducive to him playing soccer. So let me explain the context here. Brian Reynolds moves to Roma last season, I believe in the January window, if I'm remembering correctly, gets a few matches for them. Then Jose Mourinho comes in over the summer and uh, Brian Reynolds has played all of, I believe, one minute in Serie A since <laughs> that has happened. Yeah, Things have not been going well for Brian Reynolds to the point where he was allowed to come back and play in a 
non-FIFA window international friendly for the United States after Camp Cupcake uh, against Bosnia and Herzegovina in Carson, California. So not exactly around the corner from Rome, in, in case anybody was a, a bit confused on that. So Tom Bogert is reporting, MLSoccer.com's Tom Bogert is reporting that Anderlecht were in Italy recently to meet with Roma over a potential loan deal. Some other clubs were involved as well, but it really does seem like between Bogert and a few other outlets out there that Anderlecht are zeroing in on Reynolds and it feels like they're close to an agreement with Roma. I am into this move, Taylor, for the very reason that it seems like almost anywhere will be better than this Jose Mourinho-Roma situation in terms of getting Reynolds on the field, which I think is huge for his development as a player right now. 20 years old, so much talent, hugely high ceiling. He's fast. He's incredibly fast. Great crosser of the ball, has tons of upside, but he needs to get reps. He needs to make mistakes defensively, and he will make those mistakes defensively, but he needs to improve his defensive awareness and be given opportunities in the first place to even make those mistakes and improve at all. And that's just not happening right now with Roma. Maybe it's happening in training. I can't speak to what that environment is like, but it feels like getting a move is important. To go back to my slight hesitation about this move, even though I still am generally positive about it, Anderlechter third in the Belgian Pro League right now in that top flight in Belgium. Uh, and Mikel Murillo, former New York Red Bulls right back, shined in Major League Soccer, Damn. current Panamanian international. He is their starting right back. And I don't think right now Brian Reynolds is a better player than Murillo. I'm all for competition. I think that can make players better. But this is not going to be a Brian Reynolds walks into the starting lineup for a team in Belgium situation. It's just not. It's probably not going to be a Kyle Duncan situation. There's a huge gulf in class between Ustend and Anderlecht. And the the quality of of fullbacks that they have is also hugely different as well. So this is certainly one I'm going to be keeping my eyes on. I'm curious to see if Reynolds does move at all, number one. And number two, if he can actually break in and get minutes for them. Because it's not going to be as easy as maybe we might think. What is going on in Belgium yeah, at the moment? I wrote that has, down. Has, has, <laughs> like, has there been some sort of American cultural awakening? They're like Post-World War II in Japan, the only films that they could get in Japan was Disney, right? And so that's why Disney is so popular in Japan. Has, there, has something happened in Belgium that we're not aware of? First of all, Graham's dropping some... Disney World War II facts. That's, I yeah, right? something today. Good work. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's been a world war that has led to that. So, at least a recent one. My, my next guess would be that there's something about their immigration laws or changes they may have made to allow Americans to play there because that is a, a big reason why Americans are able to get work permits and be able to play at a younger age in the Bundesliga in Germany. So maybe it's the case in Belgium. Maybe they've just realized, hey, it's a, it's a good place to yeah. find undervalued assets and Jose Mourinho doesn't like him. Maybe we can like him. Maybe we'll get him some competition in or, there and get him a few minutes here and there. Or, or alternatively, all their TV output has been replaced with uh, repeats of Honey Boo Boo. And that's right. <laughs> I know who Honey Boo Boo is now. Oh, no. Where go, Why Graham? did you do that to yourself, Graham? That's your, that's your next step, though, to becoming an honorary American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we did sort of make you do that, huh? Oh no! Did you actually like watch an episode, or did you just no, Google see an image and think, "Yeah, that's enough of that"? Yeah, Google a YouTube clip of a minute. I was like, "Yeah, that's enough for me." <laughs> I am not Belgian. Uh, well, then let's let's move away from Belgium potentially briefly, uh, Joe. Let's stay in the United States for a second, which is seeming to be what Miles Robinson is going to do uh, in this January window. Yeah, this is an interesting one. We don't fully know what's going on here, but Miles Robinson, Atlanta United center back, key player now for the U.S. men's national team, has had interest from the Bundesliga, a number of different teams there, and from reports and other uh, a few clubs around Europe as well. Carlos Bocanegra, who's involved high up in the front office there with Atlanta, doesn't seem all that keen on getting rid of Miles Robinson and, and selling him on. He's had a few different quotes about how he's going to be an important player for Atlanta United next season, which makes it seem like, again, that he won't be sold. I, 
I would like to see Miles Robinson play at a higher level. And I think he would do really well at a lot of higher clubs and better clubs in Europe than Atlanta United, certainly. But I also, at the end of the day, I'm not all that mad about this. If Miles Robinson does stay in Major League Soccer, he's proven to be a good player at that level, a really good player at that level, a top five-ish center back in Major League Soccer. And more important than that, he's proven to be a stable and reliable player for the United States men's national team. And this is one of those situations where I'm not sure you need to upset the apple cart and make a move given the time of the 2022 World Cup. So would it be fun to see Robinson move and make a Ricardo Pepe-esque sort of move to the Bundesliga? Absolutely. But I I don't think that's going to happen. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And I think at the end of the day, that's okay for right now. The World Cup uh, in 2022 being in the the fall, in the winter, is is really a strange one because I would totally agree with you, Joe, if we had a summer World Cup and it doesn't make sense to sort of disrupt everything right now. There's always the opportunity or chance that Miles Robinson could go somewhere, not get any minutes or pick up an injury, Jordan Morris style, and then we don't end up having him. But because there would be the rest of the season, then a preseason, then the start of the next one, then the World Cup, like there is more of an opportunity for him to get those minutes, to get that preseason to bed into a squad. Simultaneously, there's also more of an opportunity for things to go poorly or for a manager to change at the end of the season. And then he's on the outside looking in. So I'm with you. It feels odd that he seems like a player who definitely could make a jump to a fairly big or a fairly talented European side and do just fine. But at the same time, I am sort of okay with him sticking with Atlanta if it means that he continues to kind of develop and be the stable player he's been, because I think stability is a very important asset when it comes to building a national team squad for a World Cup. Absolutely. And I kind of feel similarly, at least in some respects, about George Bellow, Atlanta United teammate of Miles Robinson. There's been reports, the Telegraph reported that Watford manager Claudio Ranieri is interested in signing George Bellow, 19-year-old left back. I think a lot of folks out there are, are pretty well aware of that at this point. I'd be fine with this move. I'd, I'd be into this move. Watford are not a good team in the Premier League. They're 17th right now. If they're looking for competition at left back for Danny Rose and Adam Messina, I'd be fine to see Bello get involved there and potentially get minutes. I don't think I'd favor him to come out as a starter in that particular competition of those three players. So if he goes and, and gets involved there under Ranieri, that's, that's fine if he stays in Major League Soccer and continues to evolve and, and get minutes for Atlanta United and really improve as a player under Gonzalo Pineda. I think that's fine too. I, I don't know why. Some players I, I seem to be a lot more bothered about moving or not moving. Caden Clark as an example. George Bello, I'm, I'm kind of fine either way, just like I am fine with Miles Robinson, Taylor. What if we had George Bellow going to Sterling Albion? Would that be exciting <laughs> for you, Joe? Because then we get Graham involved. Graham's excited. I'm going to assume George Bellow would start for Sterling. I feel like it's kind of yes. best of both worlds scenario. Yeah. I'd- yeah. I, 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 I'm not sure you guys want that, I'm afraid uh, to say. <laughs> no? No. <laughs> All right, fine. All right, fine. Uh, Graham, I don't want to just ask you about uh, Scotland and the, and the uh, Scottish Premiership. So instead, I'm going to ask you about James Sands going to Rangers. Uh, what- Bing bong. <laughs> hey, there you go. I'm clipping that. I had to that. do some Someone's serious Googling. <laughs> I had to figure out what that meant. I was confused. Uh, but Graham, first of all, once again, just some top-notch American references here from you. Uh, how are you feeling? How should we be feeling about James Sands to Rangers? Another one that seems like it could go well, but also might not be the ideal scenario for him uh, coming in, getting immediate minutes, and having that impact we'd like to see. Yeah, I, I find this uh, a bit of a weird one, I have to say. So the first thing that is confusing to me is all the reports that I've read say that it's an 18-month loan deal. Yeah. Which is slightly confusing to me because I don't understand why NYCFC wouldn't... If he, if he's leaving now and he's obviously had a great season and, you know, he's 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 young, so his his stock is, is fairly high, wouldn't you try to get a fee 
Now, if there is a fee at the end of that 18 month loan deal, I don't feel, I don't know why NYCFC feel they, that's their only option. I mean, surely there are, there would be better options in that. And if he's being loaned out, why is he not going to another city football group club? And even weirder uh, than that, from a Scottish perspective, there is a Scottish club that have strong links to City Football Group. Their their manager was taken from a City Football Group club. They've taken loan deals from Manchester City. That Scottish club is not Rangers, it's Celtic. So it's it's a bizarre move to me. However, you know, obviously he is a he is a very talented player off the off the back of a, a championship winning season with, with NYCFC. I think um his versatility might be why Rangers are so interested. So obviously he played most often at centre-back for uh, NYCFC. He can play in central midfield at the base of that midfield. He can even play at right-back as well. Um, I would be surprised if Sands goes straight into that Rangers first team. They are in a bit of a state of flux. Rangers at the moment with a new manager, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst coming in, Stephen Gerrard obviously going to Aston Villa. So maybe Van Bronckhorst ha- has different ideas. We're kind of still kind of figuring out what his system is at Rangers. But Nathan Patterson is off to Everton already. That move was confirmed today just before we started recording. He was a depth option at right back. Jack Simpson, who is a, a centre-back depth option, um, he is also, it seems like he is off. And then there's Ryan Jack, who is Rangers first choice midfield anchor at the base of that midfield and he just can't get fit this season so I do think Sands could get some minutes in this Rangers team and um, he's talented enough to get minutes in this Rangers team but it might be as a sort of versatile um, plug a hole when they appear in the team sort of option rather than a central pillar of the side that, that uh, Van Bronckhorst is building. Joe, it seems to me that like James Sands could be in a similar category to Miles Robinson in terms of a player who's playing for a, a good team in Major League Soccer, is developing, would likely continue to develop, and so could stay in the stable situation and be sort of comfortable until a more logical move presents itself. But simultaneously, it's not as though he is a consistent starter for the U.S. It's not as though he is like necessarily even in the the 23-man squad, even in like the top 30 for Greg Berhalter. So do you feel like this is a move that makes sense for him, in your opinion, at this point in his career? Or do you think it would be equally smart for him to stay with NYCFC, have another season, continue to kind of grow, solidify where he best fits in terms of his playing style, and then look for a move? I think Sands needed a move. I I think this is the next step in his career, and I think he's ready for that move. I share some of your guys' concerns and questions about the format of how this move is taking place. That 18th month loan is is strange and not something you see a whole lot. I do really believe that there's a reason for that. I don't know what it is. I'm not smart enough to know the financial reasons behind it. I'm not in the know enough to know sort of why this is happening. But I do have a lot of faith in NYCFC's front office. They've moved players before. They're in talks right now to move Tati Castellanos, who apparently wants a move and is not necessarily really demanding one, but I think is ready for one and certainly could be effective for a lot of other teams. The same goes for Sands. They they signed him to a new contract. They got some value out of him. There will be a transfer fee coming for him at some point. I am very confident of that. This is an 18-month loan with an option to buy at the end. Not an obligation, but an option. We don't know what that fee is. So I, I think there is... I think there's value still in this format. I don't exactly know what that is. I wish I had more to say. But setting that aside, I think this is the right time for Sands to move. Would I have preferred him to move to a Bundesliga team? Probably, right? I think getting to a higher level than Scotland in that first division there 
is something that, that was conceivable for Sands. There are reportedly Bundesliga clubs interested in him, along with a few other clubs across Europe. I don't know that Rangers is where I would have penciled him into if I was the transfer god making all these moves happen. But it's a competitive squad. There's talent there. There's certainly going to be opportunities for him to improve himself during his time with Rangers. I, I don't know that I'm in love with the destination, but the timing and, and the situation of moving abroad, I, I am in love with. So Joe is not in love with the destination, the destination being Scotland. Graham, are you taking that personally? (laughs) Uh, No, how could I at this point? (laughs) With Ryan Bailey and all the ammunition he sends my way, that was nothing. (laughs) You know what? Since Ryan Bailey is not with us, we're going to stay talking about Scotland when we come back. First, one more quick break. Then we return for Scotland and some rumors or some moves we would like to see. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, final segment on today's episode. We're going to stay in Scotland not to talk about players that could move. We're going to talk about players that have moved and are doing okay or good or very good. We'll see what Graham says. Three (laughs) players I wanted to ask about, Graham, starting with Cameron Carter-Vickers, a player that Joe and I have talked about a couple different times when we were doing our Americans in Action review, uh, is doing, I think, well for Celtic, but maybe Mm -hmm. is one of those players that doesn't fit the profile that Burhalter is looking for for center backs. But I turn it to you. How is CCV doing over at Celtic? What have you made of his time there? Yeah, on, on the whole, he has he's done well on loan at Celtic. I would say a solid 7.5 out of 10 so far. Um, I think one of the, the most impressive things about his, his time at Celtic so far is he came straight into that side within a matter of days after signing and has pretty much not moved from that position. So that says that Postcoglu, the Celtic manager, is fairly happy with with uh, with what he has done, um, a bit of context. So Celtic have a central defender called Christoph uh, Julian, who is probably Celtic's best cent- central defender. I think he's a better player than Carter Vickers, but he has been injured for a year to eighteen months now, and so with him out sideline for the foreseeable future, it doesn't seem like he's coming back anytime soon. Carter Vickers has given them some much needed presence and physicality at the back, and I think without him, Celtic would be a little bit lightweight there. I do have questions having watched him. You know, Carter Vickers is obviously someone that I've watched before from his time down in, in English football, but I've watched him obviously much, much closer this season than I had before. I do have some questions over what his ceiling is, and I wonder if Celtic um, might be that ceiling, a, a team that's, you know, playing in Europa League, and yes, they are challenging for the title, but Scotland is obviously at maybe a slightly lower level. Basically, what I'm saying is I... I'm not convinced I see an English Premier League player in in him. Certainly maybe not one who is thriving at English Premier League level, but he has been uh, an upgrade for Celtic on what they had. And so, uh, yeah, uh, 7.5 out of 10, I'd say. We don't see CCV moving uh, to the Premier League. He gets a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, Very nice of you, Graham, although I think that's still a C or a C plus. We'll see if Christian Ramirez or Ian Harks do any better. Do you see either of them uh, playing in a way and making the leaps that would be required to make it to the English Premier League? Or do you think they are comfortable where they are, good where they are right now? 
Yeah, so I, I think um, I would struggle to see either in, in the English Premier League, to be honest, but Christian Ramirez gets a really high, I'd say even a 9 out of 10 for what he's done at Aberdeen so far. He has had an, an excellent season. So Aberdeen have had a really strange campaign so far. They started really strongly, then they fell away so badly that their manager seemed to be one defeat away from losing his job, and then they've picked up their form again. But Ramirez has been a consistent performer all the way through for, for them. He's got 11 goals and 3 assists in 24 games he scored in European qualification for Aberdeen he scored a goal away to, to Rangers at Ibrox and he's given Aberdeen something that they have been lacking for a long time which is basically just a number nine he is a, a he's a true number nine he's in he's in the box he's taking chances he gets on the end of crosses he you know he's a good finisher and um, yeah I've been really impressed with what I've seen for uh, with him for for Aberdeen Ian Harks, he is another American who's had a, a really good season in the Scottish Premiership this year. Of course, he's been at Dundee United for a while now, but it's, it's only really recently this season that he started to catch the eye. And I think that's because of the change in manager. So Dundee United's new manager this season, Tam Courts, is pushing him a bit closer to the edge of the opposition box. And Harks has a, a decent shot on him. He's got a good ping on him. And we've seen a few st- stunners from him this season. So he's got three goals and two assists in the league this season for a, for, for a central midfielder. That isn't bad. And uh, he's owned by 16.5% of fantasy users this season. <laughs> so that tells you how he is starting to earn a reputation for those uh, long-range goals. And he's just been a little bit more attacking this season, which is bringing out a, a different side to his game because until now he'd been more of a, a six. And I think he's more natural being a, an Eight, certainly what we've seen from him this season so I would probably give him an 8 out of 10 this season at the end of the season if the moves that we've talked about happen so we would have uh, Mueller, Sands, CCV, Harks and Ramirez all playing in Scotland mm-hmm. which of those names do you think will be the most widely owned player in Scottish fantasy um, Ramirez I think yeah. to be honest he, everyone loves goals in fantasy don't this they and, and he is he is a goal scorer um, and, and I've, I've raised before in the podcast looking at the USMNT I understand that what Berhalter yeah. wants from his team but similar to Daryl DK I would be looking at him as an option because he knows where the back of the net is and I've seen enough of him this season to, to think that he might be good enough for interna- international level obviously he has got kind of caps already but Burhalter, I would uh, say give me a call and I'll tell you all I know about Christian Ramirez. Joe, I'm officially making you the Burhalter whisperer. Uh, what, do, what, do, what do you make? Should we be maybe looking at Christian Ramirez uh, getting a cap, getting a look in camp? Uh, it probably won't happen before the World yeah. Cup. It, it might not ever happen again at this point, given given the age. He's not like an old player here, but he's not exactly in the Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, DK, Josh Sargent tier of players in terms of their age right now. But I do like Christian Ramirez as a player. I like him a lot. I think he, I think he is a reliable goal scorer. Graham said it quite well. He knows where the back of the net is, and he can put the ball in the back of the net. He's pretty well rounded. Not the quickest guy, and that's I think something that Berhalter might might look for in that nine spot. He doesn't have top end speed. He's not all that agile, but he can move. He finds space in the box well. He can hold up the ball. He knows how to play that nine spot in the classic traditional sense. I like him as a player, and I think Berhalter does too. As have other big coaches in American soccer. I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, Chris. Ramirez was a fixture in Berhalter's first ever game for the national team. Granted, that was a January camp back in 2019. So there is some history there. I, I'd be interested to see it happen. I don't know that Ramirez will be able to rise above the rest of that number nine group of players, that cluster that's sort of all in the same tier of that depth chart. He might just be another name in that mixture, not necessarily able to rise above the rest. 
All right. So we'll see if Greg Berhalter is listening to what Joe Lowry says, to what Graham is saying. If we see Christian Ramirez brought into a camp, then we know uh, Greg Berhalter, big fan of Graham Ruthven. Uh, but for now, my final thing. <laughs> I'm not a fan of his trainers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Graham, shots fired. Shots fired at Greg Berhalter. I look forward <laughs> to you. Maybe that can be our next pod is, is you and Berhalter discussing soccer fashion. I feel like I, feel like I would actually I'm really so enjoy that. Can we make that happen? Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want that to happen as well. Sorry, Greg. I didn't mean it. <laughs> um, I've This question for you all. I'm going to give you all less antagonistic uh, Thanos powers. If there were an, an American we've either talked about or not yet talked about who you would like to see get a move in the January window, who would that player be? And if you had that power, where would you move them? What is a scenario that you think could really benefit that player? I'm stalling for time, so I would say it could be Brian Reynolds. It could be George Bellow. Miles Robinson, we mentioned. One player we haven't would be Matthew Hoppy. We mentioned him very briefly, yeah. but not in the context of not presently playing. There are rumors that uh, he could be offered on loan. He's uh, had trouble settling in Spain and Mallorca, so uh, maybe he, he gets a move this window, but also Yunus Musa, we had some questions about that when we did our live show. Maybe even Tyler Adams at Leipzig could do with a move. So, Joe, we'll start with you. Who's one player you would really like to see uh, get a move in January? Okay, I'm ready. I just snapped. I don't know if that came across on the microphone, but oh I'm doing my best Thanos impression here. Hopefully, Graham, are you still there? Yeah, Graham, are you still there? Oh no! Uh, oh, no. Yeah, that <laughs> was me doing my dead, dead impression. Okay, all right. Well, Gra- Graham seems to be talking still, despite the fact that he's dead. I'm glad I didn't really kill him. Uh, the the name I'd like to see move Taylor is Brendan Aronson, and there have been all reports right. around Brendan Aronson. He's not a name we've gone through on this show. The reports coming from Tom Bogert that Tom Tom's getting a lot of run on this show, as he should, to be honest. That uh, RB Leipzig are interested in the RB Salzburg player that Leeds are interested in him, and that AC Milan are interested in him. I would be fine with pretty much any of those destinations. I need to think about it a bit more to figure out where I think he might fit best. There's different issues with going to all of them. There's different advantages to going with all of them. The sad thing is, though, I don't think this is going to happen until the summer. And really, that's okay, because RB Salzburg still have Champions League soccer to be played. There's an advantage here for the Union to let him play the rest of the season with RB Salzburg, given that there's still some performance incentives to be met for their end of this deal. So there's plenty of reasons why it makes sense for him to wait this out and just hang out at Salzburg and be really, really good the Austrian Bundesliga. I just think he can be more than that. I think he's ready for the next step in his career after moving to Salzburg uh, basically a year ago now. I think he's ready for that next thing, and I don't think that next thing's going to come until the summer, but if I'm Thanos and everything else is what I want it to be, I want Brendan Aronson at a, at a bigger club playing at a higher level. What if we had a, a similar situation to Pepe where it seems like it's going to be Leipzig. We know there's that kind of pipeline there. Last minute, Augsburg come in and again hijack that deal, and he's at Augsburg with Ricardo Pepe. How do you feel about that? I feel a little better for Ricardo Pepe. Maybe he'll have some better attacking quality around him. I don't I don't love that move for Brendan Aronson, yep. but uh, who knows, Taylor? Stranger things have happened. Yeah, I think if you had Brendan Aronson and Ruben Vargas at uh, Augsburg, Vargas was one who stood out to me as being an actual creative player. Maybe the two of them with Ricardo Pepe up top, you, you got a stew going there. I'm kind I, don't, of down. I don't hate that one I'm so kind of down. Much. I like stew. Uh, <laughs> Graham, what about for you? So the one for me is uh, is Hoppy, just because I, the, it, that seemed to fizzle out so quickly with, yep. with Matthew Hoppy, and I I just want to to see a little bit more in terms of where he would go. Mm-hmm. So obviously, um, in Mallorca, he's he's started only one La Liga game this season. He has been injured since October. But it doesn't surprise me at all that Mallorca seemed to be open to a loan because I'll be honest, I had kind of forgotten he was even at Real Mallorca. I haven't seen any of him in La Liga, uh, a league that I watch a lot. I haven't seen any of them this season. In terms of where he would go, 
Um, Belgium, why not? I mean, it seems like everyone else has gone there. Scott, Scotland or Belgium? That they're basically becoming a uh, two American yeah. outposts. The the whiskey, uh, uh, beer, chocolate alliance is what it's being <laughs> dubbed. Not by me. Someone else dubbed it as that. I guess the Bundesliga fits in there too for the beer side of things. So yeah, I, I like that alliance. That works really well. Um, mine, having asked the question, I'm going to then not quite answer it because I'm going to say if. Reports are to, be- to be believed, and Serginho Dest is only not playing due to injury, and then maybe there's a technical component that needs to be developed. If it is the case that Xavi is planning to give him the opportunity to develop, I really want him to stay at Barcelona, because I think if Xavi gets the team playing the way he wants and the way we assume he wants them to play, I think that helps Serginho Dest become a more influential attacker than he already is but i think it probably makes him a comprehensively better player on the whole that's giving a lot or putting a lot of faith in xavi uh, a a relatively unproven manager at this point but if he's able to be the manager that i think he could be then i think having Des there as his sort of long-term right back who can sort of rise to the occasion develop the way he needs him to be and become a key performer for barcelona under xavi i think that would be excellent if not I wouldn't hate him going to Bayern Munich. I feel like that, I often wonder if that's a, a thing that Dest thinks about sometimes. Is Should I have just gone to Bayern where I would be winning titles and playing a lot of minutes and they still don't really have a right back? They might lose, lose Nicolas Sula. I think he's out of contract at the end of the summer, end of the season, beginning of the summer. So there would be opportunities there if there was like a short-term loan and we know Barcelona need to get wages off the books to be able to register uh, players like Ferran Torres, then maybe that would make sense. But I wouldn't mind if Dest is staying if he's getting chances. I wouldn't mind him going if he's not. That is my answer to my own question. Uh, how do you all? Do you have any thoughts about Sergio Dest at Barca? Joe, yeah. I feel like you're calmer on this one than I am. Graham, uh, what do you make of it? I-, I find it really weird that Dest is in this situation with Barcelona because... I feel like he's he's been pretty good for them. When I, I've watched obviously Barcelona a lot recently, the last uh, you know the last couple of seasons, and he has he has been a, a relatively reliable performer in that right back position. And and the weird thing about Zabin maybe not being that keen on him is, you know, we know from him signing Dani Alves within days of him being appointed that we know the type the type of profile of right back that he wants in that squad and obviously Dani Alves isn't being signed to uh, to play in the first team but it does indicate that he's looking for someone in that mold and from what we've seen of Dest at Barcelona he has done a a, a pretty decent job in that mold to the point where he's been used as a as a right uh, attacker in a, in a front three, which says to me that he is more comfortable as as an attack-minded fullback than as anything uh, defence-minded. So it is peculiar to me. I wouldn't be too worried if I was a USMNT fan about Dest because I think if he leaves Barcelona, he probably gets a decent move after Barcelona. I still feel like he's held in high enough regard that he would go to Bayern Munich or Arsenal or Juventus. I think he has got another big club in him, so I wouldn't be worried too much. But I, I feel like there's still plenty... Um, life in Barcelona and his Barcelona career to really give up on that one just yet. Joe, any any additional thoughts on Serginho Dest or have we talked him to death at this point? I'm just still thinking about what could have been if Desta joined yeah. Bayern, as you mentioned there earlier, Taylor. I feel like that was always the right thing to do. And now we're stuck in this strange Dest, Xavi transfer for Antares, Barcelona financial crisis reality. And uh, it, it's a weird place to be. I don't think he'll move at the end of the day. I don't think he will. I wouldn't be mad at it, but I also wouldn't be mad at him staying. And I think at this point, I'm just regurgitating a lot of the things that you and Graham have already said. 
Well, then on that note, I will say we will continue to track uh, transfers as they happen, especially uh, when they relate to Americans and discuss them on this particular episode. But next week, we return to normalcy. We have Serie A back. We have the Bundesliga back. We've got some really interesting games as well for Americans because uh, I think I meant to mention at the beginning but did not, so I will mention now. We have Gio Reyna uh, returning to training even more, Joe. We talked about this a while back when he was, there was like a quick clip of him on the pitch doing some running. It seems like now he is in active training. I don't know if that means he's capable of playing this weekend or even like making a bench appearance, but keep an eye on whether or not we see him versus Eintracht Frankfurt in Serie A. We've got Venezia playing AC Milan. Uh, we've got Roma and Juve, so there could be some American involvement, likely more so from Weston McKinney than uh, Brian Reynolds. You never know, but you kind of do. Uh, and we will be back on Tuesday to talk about the Americans who were in action this coming weekend. I believe Graham will be joining us for that. Schedule permitting, Graham. Oh, absolutely. I've cleared right. my whole schedule for it. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I like it. In advance, Graham's just cleared everything out to be ready for next Tuesday. For now, Graham Ruthven, thank you for your debut Americans in action, Americans in the window uh, a performance appearance. It was lovely. Thank you, Taylor. It was good fun. I enjoyed that. And I think we didn't go too far in the weeds, Joe and I, so I appreciate you didn't have to pull us out that much. <laughs> I would love for Graham to join us for like a roster breakdown and just see how long he can sit before he has to say something about how long we've been talking about, <laughs> like right back depth or something oh, like that. Yeah. No, no one cares about the third choice goalkeeper, guys. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's a hurtful. That's a Ethan hurtful Horvath thing to would say like a word. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. would come on now. Oh, golly, there's an audience for that. Jeez. A single yeah. tear running down Sean Johnson's cheek. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that was my possession as a player. So you know, <laughs> thirteen goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Graham Ruffin, thank you for that. Joe Lowry, thank you, uh, as always, for being here with me today. Absolutely. Can't wait till that roster show when Graham just yells next every five minutes and, <laughs> and it works out quite well. <laughs> me either. Listeners, I hope you can either. We will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks so much for listening.